is awesome. I invite you to stay standing, please. I want to pray with us. God, I thank you so much for the truth of those words and the excitement of your people. There's nothing like what we do here. No we're in culture, no other place. And when you bring the people of God together, those seeking him, to sing praises to you, to learn what it's like to know you, and to do it together in community. I just thank you so much for the time we have. And Jesus, I, that's my prayer today that each one of us as we come to you today and we'd listen, we'd open our ears right now. We'd have eyes that would see through the power of your spirit the truth of your word and what you would say to us today about our our lives and your desire to be with us, to walk with us, that we would know you. I pray that you would interpret for every person exactly what they need. You know why they're here. You're so personal. And we rest in that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. That'd be great. And as you're being seated, what I'd love is if you grab these message notes out of your program and you'll be able to follow along today by using these. I encourage you to do that. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Ephesians chapter 2. So I encourage you, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to, uh, for you to have a Bible in your home that you can read. So that right out these doors, there's a bookshelf, there's Bibles on there. I'd love it if you'd take one today. It would be our gift to you that you could have in your home and just love to see you do that and take one today. So here we are in our second week in the series that we started last week called Anchored. And uh, as Dave said just a while ago, is that we're actually going back into history. We're taking a step back into history because we believe that we can't go forward into the future if we don't take our past with us. And so as we take our past with us, we're able to then interpret the future, interpret the things and the events of today that are actually happening to us. And what we're doing is we decided that we would take these uh, weeks leading up to Easter and that we would walk through a significant event in history called the Protestant Reformation. And so the Protestant Reformation had its beginning through a young monk named Martin Luther, and uh, the Holy Spirit gave Martin Luther the courage and the conviction to write about the theological errors that he was seeing in the Roman Catholic Church of his day. So he's writing about the errors he was seeing. And so what we're doing is we're saying, okay, we want to be able to also be secured into history. He was correcting the error and bringing them back into the truth of Scripture. And we want to say that as well. In our day, as we're you know, trying to navigate the things that are coming up at us and things change so quickly, change so freely, I just, we just want to be able to remind ourselves of the distinctives of the Christian faith that are firm and secure and that we can build our lives on, we can anchor ourselves into because they don't change. We need to remind ourselves what we believe. Because what we're talking about here has been the anchor for followers of Jesus Christ for centuries. We celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, as Dave said, in, the, in October. When we do that, then you and I can be secured in the reality of God's truth and his word, and we can have a hope that with, can withstand the choppy seas of the world and the lives in which we live. Why don't you look at the uh, verse right at the top of your notes. This is from Hebrews chapter 6. And it's a theme verse for this series. And the writer of Hebrews is just in the middle of this long talk about Jesus and how Jesus has 
uh, opened the veil, split the veil so that we can come into relationship with the Father. And he says this, because of what Jesus has done, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, and it is firm and secure, meaning that we can build our lives on this. It's firm, and we can hold on to it. It doesn't change. So Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, we're moving up toward Easter and Good Friday, where Jesus died on the cross for us. Because of what he did, he split this veil of separation that was keeping us from being able to be fully in relationship with God. We're separated from God, and because of what Jesus did, we actually have access to God through faith in Christ. So the Protestant Reformation, and I talked a lot about this last week, so you weren't here, you want to go online and watch that sometime, just be able to get up on what we talked about last week. But it was a movement to restore Christianity to its true roots in one area, the area of salvation, the area of salvation, the key area, actually the key thing that makes the Christian church what it is today. We wouldn't need a Christian church if it wasn't for salvation. Martin Luther saw that the church's day has moved away from the biblical teachings about salvation that are found in the pages of scripture. In response, what he did is he started writing about the error that he saw. So he wrote some documents, and as he wrote these documents, one of them, uh, he wrote a, a 97 theses at one point. I'm just going to use that word. Then he wrote what, he called the, what we call the 95 theses, and what this is is 95 different debate points. So he said, here's what I see in the church, what's going on, and what they had done is they made the mistake, actually, of asking Martin Luther, Luther to study the Bible. And so he was studying the Bible so he could teach it. So he's studying the Bible so he can teach it. And he's realizing that what is happening in the church that he's part of isn't in alignment with the Bible as he's reading it. And so he's starting to say, well, we need to talk about this. And then he saw his own struggle with repentance, saw his own struggle with being able to be accepted by God. And he says, something's got to change. And so he wrote these 95 theses. And he posted them on what's called, well, actually on the town bulletin board, which we call the Wittenberg Door. Some of you heard about that. And so he posted them on the town bulletin board. He didn't expect it to have any impact. He just thought, hey, we're just putting up these debate points, and we're just going to scholars debate it, okay? You know how it happens when, you know, doesn't change anything when that happens. We're going to debate this. But they contained in them a condemnation of the church. And it showed that the church had lost its way, but it also didn't show how it had lost its way, but it gave kind of a map for how the church could get back on course and bring itself back into alignment with what the Bible says. And from that document, the reformers, those who were part of his movement, and then later, uh, they developed five statements of faith, which became known as the five solas. You heard Dave mention that a moment ago, the five solas. That's what we you know, really expounded on that last week. The word sola, just kind of heads up, it means alone or only. So the five onlys, the five these and nothing else statements is what they came up with. Remember, it's about salvation. It's not about everything that the Bible teaches, but specifically about salvation. So you see what I wrote there, a little paragraph about the five solas. They are the foundational set of biblical principles that emerged during the Protestant Reformation and summarized the essentials of Christianity and salvation in Jesus Christ. So the five solas, sola scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus, and then we have sola Deo Gloria. So basically, Scripture alone, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And so that's what they wrote, and they said, this is what Christianity is all about. Now, this is interesting, actually, because the Roman Catholic Church of its day would have said, hey, that, we, that's, those are our same five pillars of faith. Same five pillars of faith, just not the sola part. 
So everything except the sola part, right? The church of Martin Luther's day placed, had come to the place where it was placing tradition or the teachings of men over the teachings of the Bible. So tradition or the teachings of men over the teachings of the Bible. And there was a need for truth, and there was a need for reform. And so he entered into this time that we just lovingly called the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther, I love this part, was the man God chose. He didn't set out to create a reformation. Just like, you know, Billy Graham, you know, we just celebrated his life as we commemorated his death. Billy Graham never set out to be a great evangelist. He just set out to do God's will. He responded to what God called him to do. And the same thing's true for Martin Luther. He didn't set out to, you know, change Christianity forever, but he set out to do what God did, called him to do. And he did it with courage and he did it with conviction. Last week we talked about scripture alone and the works of this book, the words of this book that were inspired by God, that God breathed into men who wrote from their experience and their perspective words from the Holy Spirit that were then put onto paper, and then they were put onto paper, and then they were transferred throughout time to the Bible that we have today. Now, some of you say, well, can we trust the Bible we have today? Well, I could give a whole message on how we can trust the Bible we have today, but I'll just say it this way. If God can speak through the Holy Spirit into men who wrote and he calls this his inspired word, that same God can, through the Holy Spirit, make sure that the words we have in this book today are his written word. And so we can trust it and we can build our lives on what he said. We talked about that last week. Once again, you might want to go out and watch the service. Today we talked about sola gratia, and which means grace alone. And so you write that in your blank there, sola gratia, and that means grace alone. God's salvation comes to us by grace alone, and we're going to talk about this, not by the, our merits, not by the things we do, not by the works that we produce through our efforts. And that's what Martin Luther was writing against, was all the works that were supposedly going to get you in favor with God in the church of his day. So what you're going to see in the next few weeks is how important this uh, doctrine is because the, these three weeks together, this one and the next two, they all are in alignment. The Bible teaches that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. By grace alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone. The Bible teaches that's how we're saved or that's how our sin problem is taken care of. Now, Peter wrote about this need to stand in grace and Peter was writing to Christians uh, that were under persecution and under suffering for their faith. And he had been writing about grace and how there's God's chosen priesthood. And he was calling them to stand strong. And so he gives this verse here and he says this, my purpose in writing is to encourage you. And that's what, that's what the message is about today, is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Now, I just got to say this. They are going through suffering and persecution. And Peter is saying, this is part of God's grace to you. And that's going to be the same thing that's true in our lives, folks. In the next series, I'm going to talk about the struggles that we face that come at us. And it's just, it can be part of God's grace to us. And then he says this, stand firm in grace. Stand firm in grace. I can't think of anything harder than standing firm in grace. You know, I just was told first service, it's like I walked up here before first service to speak today, and I couldn't believe how insecure I was today 
about this talk and uh, about the things that I was going to say today, that some of them are going to be very hard. And so as I was walking up here, I thought, God, I just, I'm standing on grace. I'm trusting that what I have to say is from God, and I can stand in that and trust that. And you can as well. You can trust that what you're going to hear today is grace alone from Scripture, and you can build your lives on it. You can trust that to be true. But it's hard to stand in grace. Why? Because our nature is to think we have to earn our way, right? And grace is the opposite of that. Think we have to earn our way into favor, especially with man. And you know you know that. You start from the very beginning. I remember I got my first job. I was about third grade, fourth grade. Got my first paper route. And then did that. Ended up with two paper routes. Ended up with the morning and the evening paper route. Ended up working at a gas station when I was 14. Ended up doing... And so I've worked all my life, it feels like. And all of it, I, it was for a paycheck. And to earn my way. And you know what? Uh, my parents built into me this strong ethic about uh, serving people. But somewhere along the way, I think it got a little bit twisted because it wasn't just serving people, but it was serving people so that they would like me. Anybody else do this? Serving people so that they would like me. It's so hard for us just to stand in grace, you guys. So hard for us to do that. And it's really hard as we look at what we're talking about today because it's the same in our relationship with God. We're, we, we, we find ourselves all the time trying to earn our way into his favor in some way. And that is impossible. Impossible to earn our way into God's favor. So instead, what he calls us to do, the call today, is to be humble and receive his grace. It's to be humble and receive his grace and then to stand on it because everywhere else we stand, sand, stand is on sinking sand. So we stand on his grace. The essential message of the Christian faith, this is where it's going to get really hard today. The essential message of the Christian faith is sin and grace. Sin and grace. Sin is the problem. Grace is the solution. Sin is the disease. And God's grace to us is his remedy. It's his remedy. So we're going to understand the core message of the Christian faith. Then we have to understand our sin. We have to understand the sin that we have in us, and we have to understand then our inability to solve our sin problem on our own, and then God's grace that comes along as our only remedy. Actually, I was naive enough to think when I began this message prep, we'd already had eight weeks on grace. I thought, you know what? You, you were so awesome. You loved the series on grace, and I, I really really respect some of the decisions some of you made to become more graceful people into your world and into your life. And I was thinking, you know what? It's going to be pretty easy to do another talk on grace because everybody loves grace. And so when I talk about grace, everybody loves it and they love me too. So I'm just kind of thinking this is going to be really easy, you know, to do this. I feel good about it when it's done. But then I realized as I was doing my study this week that in order to fully understand grace, you have to understand sin. I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be really hard because who likes to talk about sin, right? Nobody talks like, likes to talk about sin unless it's someone else's. We like to do that. <laughs> Teaching on grace, though, without including sin is not the grace of the Bible. We have to include it. If sin is my problem, sin is my problem, then I need to know how to deal with my sin problem. And the way that God deals with our sin problem is through grace. So let's just begin. I'm going to define grace. Just a short definition. Uh, you'll recognize this from the series that we just finished on living in the flow of grace. But first of all, on the first line, grace is God's unmerited favor. So it's his unmerited favor. 
So what it means by that is it's free, and it's his favor, and the beauty of this is, is that what it's saying is, is that I can be free of the weight of condemnation, I can be free of the weight of not measuring up, I can be free of the depths of my sin, and I can be free of trying to earn God's favor, it's a free gift. Don't you think our world needs to hear that message? It's a free gift. Next, it's his unlimited power. It's his unlimited power. So he has an unlimited power source that comes to live inside of me that transforms me, the power to become a different person, a new creation, as the Bible says, a person of grace who can live. Some of you really need to listen to this. Who can live without guilt or shame, without condemnation. Because we live in grace. Who can live out of a place of a new identity in Jesus Christ. Grace is a free gift you can't live without, that you can't earn on your own, that's absolutely essential for life. Can't live without, can't earn on your own, but it's absolutely essential for life. Grace alone is the answer to our sin problem. Not our religious works, not our efforts, not self-help, not self-improvement not self-actualization. Grace alone is the answer to our problem. And so what I want to see today, what you want us all to see today is this. We all have a sin problem, and God actively pursues us to show us his love and grace. Now, I'm just going to talk a little bit. Some of you are going to really, uh, I think, under, um, be drawn to this. So oftentimes when we come to talk about sin, we go to Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that God said to Adam and Eve in the Garden, you shall not eat of the tree of good and evil, and if you do, you shall die. And then we all probably know the story that Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of good and evil, and they died. We're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. Now, what is typically taught here is that, therefore, God kicked them out of the Garden because God can't be in the presence of sin, and so he had to kick them out. Uh, and so he kicked him out, and then basically, for the rest of time, God can't be in the presence of sin, and so God removes himself from sinners because he can't be in their presence until something is done about it. Now, I've actually taught that, folks. I've actually taught that. But here, I was just doing some research this week, some study, and I felt some illumination that there's a different way to look at this is that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of good and evil, that God removed them from the Garden of Eden so that they wouldn't eat of the tree of life, so that they wouldn't live eternally in that condition without any hope of resurrection or change. And then he moved them outside, of, so he moved them outside the Garden of Eden, and the rest of the Bible is a story of God pursuing people. It's not God avoiding people because of sin. The rest of the Bible is about God pursuing people, running after them, chasing them down. I love Psalm 23, so that he can pour out his grace in huge abundance on people. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of our God. That's the story that people who have sin need to hear. That's the story you need to hear, that God chases us down. See, folks, it's sin that resists God. It's not God resisting sin. Sin resists God. Adam and Eve, what the first thing they did? They hid from God. 
You look through the Bible, you see all the stories. They're about people hiding, moving, resisting God. God's always chasing. He's always moving. He's always coming close so that we can experience his grace. I love the picture of a God who runs after us. Luke 15. Just read Luke 15. Picture of God who runs after us. He has a dogged, relentless pursuit of people. He loves people. Martin Luther said it this way. I, I think he did a great job saying this. He said, this grace of God is a very great, strong, mighty, and active thing. It does not lie asleep in the soul. Grace hears, grace leads, grace, grace drives, grace draws, grace, grace changes, grace works in all man, and lets itself be distinctly felt and experienced. It is hidden, but its works are evident. He personifies grace there to show us God's chasing after us so that we can experience grace. See, folks, grace is not about us going out to find God. It's about God coming to find us. I, I remember when... You know, I was living a long, long way away from God and uh, in my early 20s, uh, late teens and early 20s. And uh, as I go back and reflect now, sometimes I didn't see God, but when I reflect back, I see how God was moving, how he was chasing me, how he was wooing me, how he was showing me people who had grace. All the time, I can tell you people who showed me grace again and again and again. I just wasn't willing to be caught yet. I wasn't willing to turn myself over to him in that place. So the question we have to ask is we have, if God's chasing us, and this is what I felt, that the reason I wasn't willing to say yes to God is I didn't think I was good enough. I mean, you know, Satan's the accuser, right? And so he's, it was accusing me, he accuses all of us, and he keeps us from turning to God because we're not good enough yet. And so then we got caught in religion we get caught in change. We get caught in trying to make ourselves better in some way so that we'll make ourselves more acceptable to him. That's the trap that we can get caught in. So the question I just want to ask is this. Do you want to be found? Do you want to be found? Because God's chasing you. God loves you. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. God wants to be with you. Our God is a pursuing gracious God. So here we're going to talk about for just a little bit to kind of help us to understand. Standing firm in grace first requires me to realize my human condition, realize my human condition. And we're going to go to Ephesians 2 now. And starting with verse 1, we're going to look at our human condition. So this is the hard part of today. Just want you to know, so you might want to put on your shoulder pads and your helmets just for a minute, okay? Because this is actually the, the toughest part. But you know what, folks? I, what I've seen is this is the most loving part of this, today's message. Because God does not want us to live in our sin. He wants us to be free. This is what it says. Paul's writing. He's talking to those who've said yes to Jesus, those who are already followers of Christ. If you aren't, this would be your condition. If you are, this was your condition. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. So everybody is like this, okay, at some point. So you, there's no way you can ever think you're superior to anyone else. Everybody's like this at some point, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil. So anyone who's not in Christ, who is their master, according to this verse? The devil. And so anytime we look at people who aren't in Christ and we think that, well, they should have the values of Christ, well, guess what? They're following a different commander. And so they're not going to have the values of Christ, and so we can't expect them to. He's the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. So there's no, I'm better than anyone else. 
know better than anyone else along the way because we're all in the same place. We've all followed the passion, desires, and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject then. Because of this, this is the truth of every person, we were subject to God's anger, God's wrath, God's judgment, just like everyone else. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and they ate of the tree of good and evil, God said that if you eat at this, you will surely die. Last week we talked about this. We talked about the fact that when God makes a promise, it's not a wish, it's a guarantee. And so when God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die, well, we know from the Bible itself they didn't die. So what does God mean that you shall surely die? But since they didn't physically die, God was obviously referring to something else. And what he was referring to is spiritual deadness. Up until then, they're spiritually alive. They died spiritually at this point. And Paul says that every person who's born from the seed of Adam, that'd be all of us, is born dead spiritually. Dead spiritually. And then I just want to show here's the truth about dead people. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. Just truth. Dead people need a resurrection from outside of them. And so, folks, without Jesus, we are dead. Not almost dead. Not a little bit dead. There are no degrees of deadness. There are no dead people who are any more dead than anyone else. So when you're dead, you're dead. And like me, you're probably thinking of the clip I'm going to show you from this movie. Let's look at this. Where's that bellows crap? Probably owes your money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Ooh, but ooh, look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. love that movie so much. But his, the, 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 it was so truthful, right, Mad Max? If you're almost dead, there's hope. But if you're all the way dead, there's nothing that can be done except go through your, change, your pockets to look for loose change. And what Paul says right here is that every one of us is born all dead completely dead. If we were just mostly dead, then I can see why religion might be appealing. That if I engage in religion in some way, that I'm going to earn my way closer to God and I can become less almost dead. But it's not. We're all the way dead. Now, why is it so important for us to realize this? Why is it so important for us to know this? Because when we do, it will help us to understand that there's nothing we can do by our own efforts our merits or efforts or work in any way to resurrect ourselves. There's no self-help program that can resurrect us. There's nothing that we can do that can set us free. And what God wants us to do is that God wants us to admit and receive his gift of resurrection. Admit and receive that, his gift of grace. Every part of us has been corrupted. Every part of us has been affected by sin. Our mind, our will, our emotions, our longings, our desires, our inclinations, they are all corrupted by sin, and they all need a resurrection. And as a gift of grace, 
God shows us our human condition so that he can then bring the full impact of grace through healing us and resurrecting us from deadness so that we can walk in his ways. Martin Luther said it this way. He said this, to be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. See, he was fighting against religion, which was saying that it's by efforts that you receive grace. It's by works that you receive you know, favor with God. But to receive by grace alone, this is the hardest thing. And not just in his day, it's the hardest thing today. Then he said this. He says, the whole task of the Apostle Paul and of his Lord, this may seem a little harsh, okay? But it's true. Is to humiliate the proud and to bring them to a realization of this condition. What's the condition? Sinfulness. To teach them that they need grace to destroy their own righteousness so that in humility they will seek Christ and confess that they are sinners and thus receive grace and be saved. We have to realize our condition because without it, we don't need grace. But with the realization, we know how much we need grace. Okay, second idea is this is that standing firm in grace requires me to receive God's divine redemption, to receive his divine redemption. So what we're learning today is that if I can't earn this, that it's a gift. If I can't earn this, I have to get into the posture of being willing to receive grace, receive forgiveness, receive this resurrection as a gift. Um, there's not a product I can purchase uh, or a service I can do to get this grace. I have to receive it as a gift. So these next verses are some of the richest in the Bible, okay? Some of the richest verses in the Bible. So after this whole thing about uh, that we're all dead, that we're all you know, following Satan as our commander-in-chief, and that there's no, no hope, Paul says two words, but God, but God. Two of the most shocking words in the whole Bible, and I want you to say, hear this, two of the most hopeful words in the whole Bible. But God, then it goes this, is so rich in mercy, and he has loved us so much. So folks, let me just say, just stop right here. This is the message that Christianity has to get back to. Christianity has to get back to the message that God loves us so much. That's our platform, folks. Our platform is not to go out onto the street corners or into our workplace or into the grocery stores or into the gym or with our families and start saying, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You are a sinner. That's not our platform. And that's not going to draw anyone to grace. God shows us. He shows us our sin so that we can receive his love. But the motivation is so that we could know his love. He loved us so much. To let all, so our platform is to let all people everywhere know that God loves them, that he knows you, and he loves you, and he loves you with an everlasting love. He loves you so much, and it goes on to say this, that even though you were dead, so you were dead, because of your sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united, underline that, united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? That's a woohoo. I agree. 
See, God takes those who are spiritually dead and he makes them spiritually alive. He gives them a resurrection. This is why the gospel is called the good news. This is it. God rescued us when we couldn't save ourselves, and he brought us in back into relationship with him. He's been pursuing us. He's been chasing us so that he can bring us back into full relationship to him. Grace said you were dead, and then God made you alive. And that's amazing, and that's why followers of Jesus should be the most joyful people on the planet. Because we understand. That's why it's so important that you understand your condition, because without your condition, there's no joy because you don't understand grace. You have to embrace that and understand it and live in it. His gift comes out of his mercy, not our merit or effort. John read this verse earlier. Paul in Ephesians says this about grace. He says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that what did he do? He purchased our freedom. He didn't want anyone to be separated from him with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So God chased us all the way to the cross when he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so he could show us our love and so he could forgive us of our sins. The message of the gospel of grace is that there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to make ourselves alive. It's an act of God's divine redemption whereby he saves us from our condition and resurrects us to new life. Grace is God in his mercy and love reaching down into our lifeless souls and giving them spiritual life. And then when you become alive spiritually, it flows like a river of grace out of you and it gives you love and energy throughout your entire existence. Because we're united with Christ now. And yet, united with Christ, this is what we learn about from the Bible. It means that we now have all of its beauty and all of its loveliness, that we now have all of its wisdom and insight, that we have all of its peace and its gentleness, that we have all of its courage and conviction, that we have all of its power and its strength, and we have all his compassion and caring for everyone because of the spirit that lives within us, which talks about transformation. And that's the last idea is this, standing in firm and grace requires me to receive God's divine transformation, his divine transformation. I'll just say it this way, folks, and I've tried the other way. Grace and only grace can transform us. Grace and only grace can help us to become the people that God wants us to be as he works in us. It's not what we do, but what grace has made possible for us. And look at what he says beginning in verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's him. It is a gift from God. So we have to receive it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We're going to come back and talk about that phrase. None of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us to do long ago. So God's grace is his instrument to remake us in the works of art. You are his masterpiece. Well, here, you know, sometimes we read that, and I read that I'm his masterpiece, that he's going to remake me, and I think I'm going to become perfect. And then, because I didn't become perfect, well, grace must not work. And it's either God's fault or my fault. And if it's God's fault, I'm going to move away from God because he didn't mean it. I can't be, he can't be trusted. And if it's my fault, I just need to try harder and harder and harder because I've received redemption by grace. But many of us get caught under this whole deal about I have to pursue transformation by my own efforts. 
and we get so discouraged and we get so lost that we miss out on living in grace because we get so fatigued and burned out on religion and what it means to be good. See, when grace comes into you, unless you're like, you say yes to Jesus and you've lived no life. But for most of us, when grace comes into our lives, we've lived life. And because we've lived life, we have broken spots. God didn't promise to take the broken spots away. Here's what he promised to do, to make the broken spots beautiful, to use the broken spots as a demonstration of grace to others, that if God can use someone like me, that God can use anyone. God can bless someone. God can do it. He leaves us in that place many times, but he uses us now as his masterpiece to point people to grace because it's in grace that we find sufficiency, not in our power, not in our word. Now, I'm going to talk about a verse here that I didn't put on your notes. It's 1 Corinthians 15.10, if you want to write that down, 1 Corinthians 15.10. So Paul's reflecting you know, on grace as he's writing to the Corinthian church, and at the end of this book, in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he says this statement. He says this, because of grace, I am what I am. Have you heard that? Because of grace, I am what I am. So here's what I want you to hear. Think about this. I'm his masterpiece. I want you to hear this. So for every one of us, everyone in Christ, this is true. Because of grace, I am what I am. I am what I am. I am a trophy of grace. I am what I am. I am a new creation in grace. I am what I am. I'm the beloved of God through grace. I am what I am. I'm an ambassador of grace. I am what I am. I'm an instrument of grace. I am what I am. I'm a dispenser of grace. When we experience grace, we no longer look down on others. We no longer see ourselves as superior in any way. In fact, we do everything possible so that those around us can also experience the grace that we've received. I am what I am. Therefore, I'm transformed into his likeness by grace. I display the fruits of his Holy Spirit. I am what I am. I am a recipient of grace. That's the new creation. That's the masterpiece that God makes. And Paul knew it, and he wants us to embrace it and know it ourselves. And when we're anchored in the grace of God, folks, when he says, I am what I am by grace, he wasn't boasting in himself. He was boasting in what God had done. And I told you last week, those of you who weren't here, you're hearing it for the first time, is that each week we're going to end with sola deo gloria. Sola deo gloria. Each week, we're going to talk about how we can do this for the glory of God alone. And the way I want to leave you with today that we can live this out for the glory of God alone is that we will become people who boast in what God has done, not in what we've done. We just make it our natural response to life, conversations. We learn to boast about what God has done, not what we've done. And so I put a verse here, some actually two verses from Jeremiah 9, and I'll close with this talks about where do you put your boasting. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. What is it? That they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. I, the Lord, have spoken. So I was just reflecting on this, and I was thinking, what, would, what, what difference could Twin Cities Church make? What difference could our church make in our culture, in our city, in our workplaces, in our families, if you and I just chose to become boasters 
Not about Twin Cities Church. Not about what you've done or what we've done. But in the grace of God. The grace of God is delivered with gracefulness. As we show others the love that there's a God who's chasing after them. Who's pursuing them. Who loved them so much that he went to the cross for them to die. Don't you think we could make a difference if that's what we did? I believe. I believe that's true. Let's pray together. God, I just come before you now, and I thank you so much for this opportunity. And Lord, because of what we talked about today, there are people in this room that, as your Holy Spirit's been working, that there are people that are having their deadness pointed out. And it's not so that they'll feel accused. It's not so that they'll feel separate or pointed out or picked on. It's so that there might be an opportunity to receive grace, to receive your redemption. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you a chance right now. You just do this, and just right now, you say this in your mind. Jesus, I'm dead. I know I'm dead. I know I'm spiritually dead. And I know I can't do anything to earn life, to move beyond my deadness. And so, Jesus, what I want to ask right now is I want to ask that you would make me live. I want to receive grace. I've already admitted that I'm a sinner. I want to receive your grace. Pour it into me. Pour it over me. May I know your forgiveness. May I know intimacy with the Father. And God, I want to pray that as we do that, this would be for all of us, as we do that, that we would allow grace to transform us. That, Father, that we would not, that we would at least look at our lives. And one of the ways we can see if grace is transforming us is by the fruit of the Spirit. So we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, or self-control. Is that what I'm known for? So I pray today by the power of your Spirit that you would help us move off of our self-improvement plans because that's what's defeating us. Instead, we live in the grace improvement plan and that we would trust you, Jesus. We'd give ourselves to you fully and Holy Spirit, by your power that you'd work in us and you would make us into the Take us as new creations and make us into the masterpieces you made us to be long ago. And help us to live in grace. Help us to show grace. Help us to shower grace on our world. Help us to become dispensers of grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.